Hey everybody, welcome home. You're watching Legacy Television. I'm Jeremy Pearsons. So glad to have you with us today here in the House of Faith. For the last couple of weeks on the broadcast, we've been showing you footage that was recorded live at Karis Bible College, Woodland Park, Colorado, at the headquarters of Andrew Womack Ministries. Brother Andrew had invited Sarah and I to come out, minister to the student body. We've done this before. We absolutely love these people. We love this place. An amazing place, just full. The atmosphere is just saturated with the things of God, the presence of God, the anointing of God. And when we took time to minister the word to these students, it, it was really special, special to us. I believe they were blessed and we want you to be blessed by it too. We spent time in the word of God, specifically talking about much of what we've been talking about for months now on Legacy Television, and that's standing at the crossroads. In life, we arrive at these intersections and decisions have to be made about what path we're going to take. And the Bible has much to say about the path that you choose because the path that God wants you on, the Bible says his paths drip with abundance and we will end up in our wealthy place where we prosper spirit, soul, and body if we'll turn when wisdom says turn. And that's what this message was all about. We don't want anybody missing their turn. You don't want to look up one day and think, man, did I miss a turn somewhere? But if you'll turn when wisdom says turn, you will end up in your wealthy place. So let's go right now to Karis Bible College, Woodland Park, Colorado, for part three of Don't Miss Your Turn. Verse 23, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. And Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. When you live as a person dedicated to the plan of God, committed to following him, taking the same road Jesus is taking, and he's prospered you materially, financially, you are living a life that Jesus said is only possible with God. Does that make sense to you? It's only possible with God. Only God can make that possible for you to love Jesus and be blessed materially, financially, and naturally. Peter, in verse 28, began to say to him, see, we've left all and followed you. We left everything and followed you. And if this guy who had come to Jesus with a real heart, a genuine heart, a hungry heart. If he had hung around for just a few minutes, you want to know what he would have heard Jesus say? Verse 29, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come. What's the next two words? What are they? Shout it out. What did he come to Jesus looking for? Eternal life. Called it by name. I want to inherit eternal life. And if he had just hung around, if he hadn't got hung up on the stuff, 
the stuff. But he lacked the ability in that moment of time to correctly discern what's most valuable. And it goes all the way back to what Jesus called him on in the beginning. Do you really know what's good? Do you have any idea what's actually good? Because when Jesus said, go your way, sell what you got, give to the poor. Come on, just get free. Get free, man. Come on. Follow me. Why, Jesus? I'm going somewhere. I want you with me. Come on. If he had any ability whatsoever to discern value, to discern what was actually good, he would have left that stuff in a moment, pursued Jesus, and just a few minutes later, he would have found out, wait a second, I qualify for, what'd you say? A hundredfold? Come on, Jesus, explain that to me because like five minutes ago, I left everything. I left it all and I'm following you. Tell me more about this hundredfold. I want to hear more about this hundredfold return. And, and it's not later on, it's now in this time. And Jesus would have been able to explain to him. He would have said, yeah, what you need to understand is that leaving something is not losing something. If you leave something for my sake and for the gospels, you're not losing it, you're sowing it. And now in this time, I'm going to add to you a hundredfold of what you left. See, this gets me excited when I talk to a room full of people who move from all over the place to come be up in the mountains for a few years of their life, leave everything, leave everyone, leave house, leave home, leave family, leave job. And having told people, yeah, I'm going to Bible college. And have to listen to people say, why don't you go to real college? And you had to endure that. And you made, many of you, I bet, left a good paying job. Many of you left a nice house, a big house. Many of you left some so-called stability, some so-called security, some so-called comfort. There was a time in our lives when Sarah and I were on staff with my grandparents in their ministry. Somebody say job security. That was a great gig. And that's, that's an irreverent way to talk about it. I shouldn't say that, but I will say that it was easy to be there. And there was a long time that I thought, this is where I'll be forever. Until the night before Thanksgiving, 2009, Sarah and I are laying in bed next to each other, staring up at the ceiling, and all of a sudden, vision starts coming out of us. And she's talking, and I'm talking, and then at one point, it quits being her, and it starts being Jesus, talking through her to me. And then he begins to speak through me to her. And we laid there that night dreaming about having our own place, and having our own team, and having our own ministry, and stepping out into some things. And I laid there going, am I even allowed to talk about this stuff? because I've just had this one way of thinking for so long. I'm going to be here. I'm going to serve this place. And that's a good thing. It'd be a good thing to stay there. It'd be a good thing to serve there unless Jesus showed up and said, I'm going this way and I want you with me on this road. Yes. Yes. We sought the Lord about it and we, we prayed. We went to my grandparents we submitted it to them. And I truly mean that. We submitted it. We said, this is what we believe we're hearing. We submit this to you. We didn't march in and say, sayonara, suckers. No, we said, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't do it. I value them too much. And said, I submit this to you. Pray through this with us. Talk through this with us. They said, this is good. This is God. 
And months later, they launched us out. Justice was born in May of 2010. Pearson's Ministries International was launched in September of 2010. So that's what you do, right? Have a baby, quit your job. (laughs) And for the longest time in talking about that and leading up to that, I would tell folks as we were getting ready to transition, I'd say, yeah, we're just getting out of our comfort zone, just getting out of what's comfortable, just getting out of our comfort place here. And finally, the Lord spoke up in me and said, you better quit saying that. I gave you the comforter. And if you are somewhere other than where I've told you through him to be, that's not comfort. It changed my words like that. And we left home. We left home. In the book of Luke, chapter nine, I believe, Jesus, just like he was with this guy out on the road, and he said to one, follow me. Same two words. And you know what this guy said? Lord, let me first, let me first go home and bury my father. And Jesus responded and said, okay, I understand. Family comes first. Is that what he said? He said, you let the dead bury the dead. You go now and preach the kingdom. That doesn't sound like a very sweet thing to say. But you study this out and you're going to find But this isn't exactly a reference to like my father's sick and dying at home. Let me go help him through these last few days. This was let me go home and just wait till he's gone. This goes right back to living under the expectation of what somebody else expects you to do. And if he if that voice of influence is gone, then I can do what I want. But he said to Jesus, let me first go home. Let me first go home. This alliance and allegiance to family before Jesus. He said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go home and bid farewell to them that are at my house. Isn't that interesting? Both of these individuals told Jesus, me first. And their excuse was home. Home was pulling on them. The security of home, the familiarity of home, dependence on who's at home. And Jesus didn't have sweet words for him either. He said, any man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Let me ask you something. Are these guys loved by Jesus? Of course. There's human blood coursing through their veins. You know they're loved by Jesus. Are these guys called by Jesus? Quite literally, he just said it, follow me. But Jesus said, I love you. This is what he's saying. I love you, I'm calling you. But as long as there's something you wanna do before responding to this call, I can't use you. You're not fit. You're not in shape. You're not in a condition that I can use. Anybody putting his hand to the plow and looking back. Why would somebody do that? Because plowing's hard. You're plowing up hard ground. Everybody gets excited about the seed time and harvest principle. Sow your seed, reap your harvest, glory to God, hundredfold. But do you realize that plowing is as much a part of the sowing process as actually sowing? 
As a matter of fact, if you try to sow on unplowed ground, it will sit right on the surface and the birds will come and take it. The ground's got to be plowed. So somebody gets all excited about sowing and reaping and they look out there at that ground and think, I'm going to plow that ground and I'm going to sow my seed and I'm going to reap my harvest and I'm going to be rolling in it. And they grab that plow and they start and eight feet later, a tree stump, a rock, something hard in the way some stubborn mule that won't move. And they realize all of a sudden, this was easier when daddy plowed. This was easier at home. That's why they look back. Looking back. In other words, I'm done plowing. But you're in a place that's equipping you to plow ground. Many of you are, have been called here so that you can be called back out of here into places where the ground is hard and the soil is hard and it needs to be plowed. Why? Because seed of the word has got to be sown in that place, in that city, in that community. But the ground's gonna have to be plowed. And Jesus is gonna have to be able to depend that you aren't going to be looking back for home, calling back on people at home, walking away from the assignment. He's saying to you this morning, I love you. I'm calling you, but you tell me if I can use you. Are you willing to put your hand to this plow and not look back? If this guy, this one called the rich young ruler had hung around long enough, he would have heard Jesus say that nobody has left anything. And then what are the things he, he identified? What's the first thing he said? No one who's left house. What else? Brother, sister, father, mother, family. Jesus is identifying the hook that family tries to get in you and hold on to you. And it's not because their motive is bad. It's more just the place and your dependency on the place. But that's what had to shift and change in me and Sarah when we stepped out into our own I told my grandparents, I'm not, I'm not leaving you. I'm not changing my commitment to you and to serve you. But I just, I'm asking to no longer be your employee. I want to be your partner. I don't want to be, I, I'm still committed to you. I'm just changing my dependence. I don't want to be dependent on you anymore. I want to depend solely on Jesus and on his word. And for me, that meant leaving employment. And you know, for eight months, she and I didn't take a paycheck. Brand new baby at home. No paycheck for eight months. And to this day, I do, not, I do not know how to explain. But not only did we not go backwards financially, but we went up and up and up. To now, all these years later, what's coming into our house is multiple times what it was in that secure place. What's going out of us into other places, into other ministries. We couldn't have done this. We couldn't have done this being where we were. Dr. Lillian B. Yeoman said that God delights in his children. Stepping out over the aching void with nothing beneath their feet, but the word of God. He loves it. He loves it. 
there was an unwillingness this day to leave some stuff. And because of it, he, he missed his hundredfold return. But Peter said to him, we've left all and followed you. You go back to the, to the day Jesus met some of these guys. And he walked up to them and said the same thing. Follow me. Follow me. No additional information. No, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Just follow me. Actually, some of the disciples got a little bit more information. It was pretty cryptic. I'll make you fishers of men. What's that mean? You and I have the luxury of 2,000 years of understanding that they didn't. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, what if these guys were professional painters? What would Jesus have said then? But he said, I'll make you fishers of men. And you know what the scripture says they did? Left their net and followed him. That net. These guys weren't fishing for fun. This was not recreational fishing. This is fishing for a living. This is their dependence. Food on the table. Money in the bank. And it says they immediately left their net and followed him. What if he had said, follow me? And they said, uh, okay. And started walking after him with that net in hand. Jesus turns around and says, guys, what's with the net? And they said, well, in case this fishers of men thing doesn't exactly pan out, then we've got this to fall back on. That's what a net is. You think about these guys who climb these towers in a circus and under the tent, they go walking across that high wire and everybody's ooing and aahing. But you realize if you look just like a few feet down, there's this massive net down there. And I mean, let's say the guy falls. What's the worst that's going to happen? Like a run in the tights, maybe. There's just not, there's no real risk involved here. But you take one of these guys who stretches out that cable across, I don't know, the Grand Canyon without a net, that changed everything. That risk factor just went way up. And Jesus is calling us to follow him, but he's saying, leave the net. Let me be your net. I want to be the one you fall back on. He came to some others and he said, follow me. And they were mending their nets. That ought to tell you something about whatever you've been using as a net. It requires mending. You are only as strong as whatever you have faith in. And if you've got faith in a busted, broken net, how strong are you? And yet people are hearing the call, specifically the call into ministry, the call to serve the Lord and serve his people. And they say to him, Lord, I'll go, but let me first get some money in the bank. Let me first get the kids through school. Let me first, let me first, if I have some money, then I'll have something to fall back on. And he's saying, I want to be the net. Those guys who were mending their nets, when Jesus said, follow me, you know what they left? Their dad in the boat with the net left home. And Jesus says, I love these guys. I've called these guys and I can use these guys. I mean, you compare, contrast this to 
this guy here who, who heard Jesus' word and walked away sad at it. I want you to think about that, but then think about the one that Jesus talked about. The guy who was digging in a field. Do you remember him? He was out working in a field and he found treasure in the field. And the Bible says that Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven's like. So like a guy who found treasure and for the joy over it. This is different than the man who walked away sad. This is somebody who for the joy over it went and sold all that he had and bought the field. He, he liquidated, he got rid of everything. The exact same thing Jesus asked the rich young ruler to do, but he walked away sad. This guy got so excited about it that he went and gathered everything he could, sold it all and bought the field. Imagine that conversation, gentlemen, with your wives when you get home. She comes home to an empty house because you've sold everything. And she says, where's our stuff? Where's our stuff? What'd you do with my stuff? He said, I sold it, baby. I sold it. It's gone. She says, why did you sell our stuff? He says, okay, you ready? I'll tell you why. Oh, you're going to love it. I bought a field. <laughs> you bought a what? I bought a field, baby. I bought a field. And she's like, my mother was right. My mother was right. I should never... <laughs> I married you, you madman. I bought a field. He's like, no, 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 you gotta come see it. You gotta come see it. He walks her out to the road and stands at the edge of that field. And he's standing there grinning, looking at his field. She's standing there with this worried look on her face. Here come the neighbors. This time, by this time, the community's heard all of it. And thinking, that's that guy. That's that idiot that sold everything and bought a field. Look at it. It's worthless. It's a patch of dead grass and some rocks and dirt and an old dying tree. This guy's a moron. He's an idiot. Yet he's standing there smiling ear to ear for the joy over what he's found. Help me out. Everybody's looking at the surface of the field. What's he looking at? The treasure in it. And Jesus said, that's the kingdom of heaven. That's it right there. Somebody who sees the treasure in it. But it works both ways. You see the treasure in the kingdom and you're willing to go all in for it. But help me out here, folks. Has this ever been demonstrated for us? What did our heavenly father do? Because he saw treasure in you. Did he not go all in? Did he not give Jesus the most precious, the most valuable, the most rare thing he possessed? The more rare something is, the more valuable it is, right? Right, fellas? That's the reason we spend all this money on these diamonds because they're so rare. Meanwhile, every other hand in this room has one on it. So rare. But the more rare something is, the more value is attributed to it. What did Jesus say? For God so loved the world that he gave his, what's the next word? Only. The only one. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. 
You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.